0: Sean Cheshire served in the U.S. Army for eight years as a helicopter systems mechanic and was honorably discharged in 2002. Sean lost her vision in 2012 as a result of a traumatic brain injury that she suffered while working on an ambulance after becoming a paramedic. After competing in the 2016 Paralympic Games in cycling, she has gone on to complete some amazing adventures, which we will now talk about. So, Sean, I'd typically like to start my Conversations with fellow veterans with the question, why? What is your why? Why did you sign up? Why did you join?
1: Uh, for me, at the young age of 17, um, it was an escape, um, rough childhood, um, not wanting to go to school like my friends were, getting pregnant, and then getting stuck. Mm. And so for me, it was a way out me at that time
0: and I mean, that's a, a good reason as any for and a lot of folks that i've talked to and, and even for me a little bit myself um what like when you were looking at at doing that and making that decision was it was army the you know the only decision were you looking at other branches what were you looking wow. at MOSs and 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 how did how did you make those types of decisions
1: i visited every um recruiting office. Hmm. And I was thinking about the Coast Guard, my grandfather was retired Coast Guard. Hmm. And, and I think it part of it was just what, just kind of thinking about job opportunities. And, you know, back in the late 90s, there's still, you know, there's that big separation between men and women and what jobs you could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, I ended up doing something. i I ended up choosing different than Coast Guard and uh, went chose the army, but i I chose it because it was it was like that, do I pick a job where when I get out of the service, I can use the job, you know, to in my future, or do I want a chance of a lifetime experience? like i'll I'll never experience it outside of the army. So I actually chose to do the latter to have a, a unique experience that was unique to the military.
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what was it about that MOS that excited you then? What was it about that kind of unique opportunity that, that excited you?
2: Uh,
1: it was just open to women. So I would have been, oh. I was one of the first women in that field.
0: That is cool. I didn't realize that you were part of that early firsts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that seems to
1: be with me
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes that i know (laughs) um and so before the military and before the army how was sport part of your life were were you active in different sports growing up
1: yeah i I played sports and um i played sports mostly in high school i don't remember if i did junior high sports but I was, um, you know, it was a way to do something. I would not have called myself competitive, and I definitely wasn't born with any unique uh, um, athletic ability that made me stand out. Hmm. So I, I mean, when I look back at that, it was just it was something for me to do in high school because everybody else was doing it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. All the cool kids were doing sports, huh? I, I
2: guess <laughs> that's what they say. <laughs>
0: And and so, uh, talk a little bit about your injury, and then how adaptive sports kind of connected to uh, your your life and your journey.
1: So I I lost my vision from a traumatic brain injury. Um, I was working as a paramedic. I don't remember what happened. Um, I just know that from that accident, I walked away with you know, most of my vision was lost, um, just, and I was really sick and struggling, lost my job and my, you know, all of my coping mechanisms. And I was a single parent at the time. So it was just really catastrophic at that point in my life. And I, I feel like, so the first two years I had about less than five degrees central vision, maybe. And, um, I had diplopia, so my brain was not fusing my images together. So I literally saw different images in each eye. So I had to wear prisms to kind of bring them together. So I wasn't so sick and severe photophobia. So for me being in the medical field, I was of that mentality that the harder that I worked to get it back, you know, the more chance I had to one day resuming like my normal life back then i was in complete denial as the severity Mm -hmm. (laughs) as to where i was um but i was very much in survival mode at that time and you know struggling with really deep depression tried to kill myself twice you know within the first couple years um just i could not at that time in my life i could not visualize or believe that living a happy life with opportunity and experiences was in the cards anymore. Like I literally felt like like I lost everything and all things, you know, even in the future. And and that is a really dark place to be. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful because the VA hospital in Syracuse, New York, the recreational therapist, my mobility instructor, the New York state commission for the blind, I'll never, they came to the house, like all of these people that surrounded me, I think they all knew I was struggling and really worked hard to try to get me out and interested in things. Cause I think that they knew then that if I could just get a hook, like that, that would help me. And, um, they were right, but you know, it it just took, it just took a a lot. It took a lot and a long time (laughs) for me to get there. But eventually I, um, yeah, I was introduced to biathlon, um, to tandem bike racing. And, um, I remember when I got my first hiking cane from my mobility instructor, I was like, what am I going to do with this? And she's like, well, one day you're going to hike with it. And I was like, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I literally told her that. She probably would tell you that today, uh, that I said that.
2: She um, told you, huh?
1: <laughs> she told
2: me. <laughs> yes, she did.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just this unique experience of people seeing in me what I did not have the capacity to see in myself at the time. So I, um, my first sport was really was running with Team Red, White, and Blue, which kind of was my first physical example of, I can still run as a blind person. I just need help. That's really then just kind of went to biathlon. So cross-country skiing with rifle Mm -hmm. shooting, and then kind of at the same time, getting into tandem bike racing. And it's interesting because I've never been a cyclist. And it's like with, with cycling, it was, me learning about Paralympic sports and then being told, you know, I'd never be good enough to go to Rio because I haven't been cycling enough. I didn't have enough, um, experience. And that, I feel like for me, like I was a little bit floundering before that, but that's where the hook was, was, you know, three and a half years to Rio, believing that I could do it, even if it was ignorance at that time, because I've never really been an athlete and
0: off we go. So was, the, so was the hook the challenge or the fact that someone told you you, you couldn't do it or, or yes. was it a, a personal yes. challenge? Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. I,
0: th- I thought I knew the answer to that, so I wondered, but I wanted to ask yeah. it anyway.
1: Yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting. Not interesting. It is amazing. When I think back to all these opportunities like these para sports, um, like even if they were weekend events or – um, you know, racing as a biathlete and going to camps and the travel and the equipment and the costs and stuff. And then until I got to the point of racing with team USA for cycling, this is, you know, this is where, you know, at the time it was disabled sports USA, Mm -hmm. but now move United where they, you know, this is where relationships really started getting, um, cultivated and, I had support um and it was you know it was really amazing because at that time having lost my job being a single parent really struggling I, there was no way that I would have been able to afford you know all of these plane tickets and hotel rooms and you know w- w- you know equipment and and it was really and truly amazing that I was afforded those opportunities because that's how I got to where I am today is the is opportunities and, and the ability to explore um, and learn and discover, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And so leading up to that, that three and a half years as you mentioned you know prior to Rio, what what obviously your mindset changed, but what what else did you what else did you embark on? What else did you do to to you know kind of undertake that challenge?
1: Uh, you mean since the Paralympic Games, or
0: in the process? Yeah, in the process of 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 wanting, you know, of wanting to go to Rio. Um,
1: the things that I did. I mean, it was uh, running with Team Red, White, and Blue. I did some races, uh-huh. like marathons, half marathons. Um. I was connected with um Rich Cardillo, who at the time was uh with the USABA, the United States Association for sure. Blind Athletes, running their military program. And so, you know, he then helped with, you know, connections through a cycling cub and a, and that's how I met Jesse Crandall, who's literally done all great things with Sean Cheshire. Um <laughs> uh, through, you know, looking for a ski coach to do cross-country skiing. And, um, and it, yeah, and it was just, uh, just being, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't working at the time and I was working really hard at the concussion clinic. So it was really, I was available. I was available to show up for the weekends. Um, I, I have to say, and maybe my recollection is different from others. I don't feel like I did all that much. I feel like all of these people at that time were, the ones doing all the plugs, right? They're filling out the grant forms to go to like ski spec. They were um, doing all the contact. They were reaching out to the Paranordic team for camps. They were doing the flight arrangements. Like, so it's like, I felt like I just had this really unique these people around me. Cause I don't feel like I did all that much other than show up and try not to have a bad attitude at the time.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Showing up is half the battle,
2: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and so. I that answers
0: the question, though. Yeah, no, it's all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and some of the things that you've that some of the amazing things that you've done, I you know I wanted to make sure we we spent some time uh, talking about, and and I have at least a couple that I know of that I want to talk about. What, but what are some of the I'll say big things that you've done that you have, you know, just particular memories of or thoughts about.
2: Oh, big things. Um,
0: and that can lead you if you want me to lead you in. I've got a couple that I want to So
1: say. the double crossing at a Grand Canyon.
0: Yeah. The Rim in to Rim. 20-
1: yeah. yeah. Rim to Rim to Rim. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. That was my first hiking adventure I was not a hiker before then. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was incredible. Uh, First blind woman to do the double crossing and uh, beating the record that was out there with the blind guys by like almost four hours. uh, And and that was a hard, that was a 24 hour push. And I have to tell you, that was the hardest thing at that point that I'd ever done. And then um, I decided at um, when COVID hit, and things changed for, cause I was still training to race the tandem. Um, I decided that it was like this curiosity of what, you know, having these conversations with Jesse, cause we play around and do a lot of things. How could a blind person ride a single bike across the country? And so we spent, um, I don't know, maybe nine months working on that project, mm-hmm. uh, work trying to figure out technology And how would this look if we could do it? How would it look? And, uh, so then in 2021, um, we rode single bikes across the country from Oregon to Virginia beach, like 3,800 miles and 60 ish 62. I don't remember the exact days, um, using sound. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so it was, it, that was intense. So that then became the hardest, scariest, <laughs> gnarliest, uh, gnarliest anything I've ever done. Um, which was, it was actually pretty fascinating because I did not know that was possible. Mm. Um, and that that was, um, yeah, that was truly terrifying. <laughs> so then, and it's interesting. So this past summer, we raced a mountain bike race which is a tour it's called tour divide. And it's uh, along the continental divide from Banff, Canada to the border of Mexico in new Mexico. And is about 2,700 miles. And that race actually came up before we did the ride across the country. Um, but because of COVID the border was closed. So we kind of put that on the back burner mm. to um, wait until we could actually start in Banff and do the whole thing. And, and so that, so here we are, the ride across the country is finished. And now we start prepping for Tour Divide, which put the ride across the country in perspective because the Tour Divide was never anything I will ever recommend to another blind person doing <laughs> to do. Mm. I don't know how I made it through that um, race without like getting seriously hurt. Or killed in some places. It was, I mean, if you think about it, as a blind person riding a single mountain bike on terrain that is constantly changing. It is never the same. It's never smooth. And I have two guides, you know, we're using the helmets, Wacina helmets with two-way radios, and I'm following music. And, you know, we have all this technology and the and the guys are constantly. I mean, if you ask Jesse, because he was did the ride across the country with me, that was even hard for him. Um to guide me through Mm -hmm. that. And some of the areas, you know, it's what it's like climbing one mountain pass after the next, sometimes it's too steep to ride. And sometimes the conditions are just too gnarly for anyone to ride, not even sighted people. So we're all pushing our bikes and it's a bike packing race. So we're carrying all of our stuff on our bikes. And, um, we sometimes would get to the top of these passes and the guys would be like, well, Sean, I really don't know how we're going to get you down this mountain. (laughs) I don't feel like, (laughs) what are you talking about? And they're like, well, basically there is no path. It's uh, all boulders and rocks, the size of microwaves, you know, it's toaster ovens. It's just, we have literally don't even know how to do this. And it was so hard for me to balance trying to walk down because I'm wearing clip clip. um, I'm wearing mountain bike cycling shoes that I'm clipped in. So They have that metal piece on the bottom where you just slide sometimes. So, not Mm -hmm. not the greatest uh, walking shoes on rocks. And finally, I just said, you know what? Let's get on the bike. It's on me to be able to control my bike. You make the best path. I'll follow you. And it was just like sometimes we just had to stop, shake out the hands, take some breaths, cry a little, (laughs) scream, (laughs) throw a rock. (laughs) Want to throw my bike sometimes and just continue. And that was just, that was like, Un- that was unbelievable. I still today cannot believe that we pulled that off and that was about fifty days
0: yeah and and all three of those uh treks adventures you know what yeah. what, what have you yeah. um i mean why why what what is what is the reason why you wanted to do each of those?
1: So the ride, oh, well, so we back up and do the Grand Canyon. Um, that year, I had a concussion and couldn't race. We were, It was track season, racing on the velodrome. And I couldn't race that year. And I was really struggling um, because I felt like it was, I was about at that time for a change. And when you're an athlete, it's a lot of who you are. Mm -hmm. So then trying to figure out what to do different, it's just a really hard transition. And I was really struggling. So I, um, did this women's retreat in the Grand Canyon first time i had ever been there. And, um, it was, uh, it was, I mean, I cried and it was like such an experience, but Jesse and I had been talking about, um, doing, um, the Grand Canyon before And so now being in the Canyon, I thought, you know, let's, what would it take to do the double crossing? Has a blind person ever done it? Has a blind woman ever done it? So we kind of just did some research and we did. And I think we, um, July, August, we, we prepped three months Mm. for this, um, from that when I went to do that women's retreat and, um, it was a challenge. It was something for me to focus on. I didn't know if I could do it because I'd never pushed myself that long and that hard before. So it was a through hike. Uh, but I seemed, you know, and, and in that, I think that when I left the grand Canyon, it is incredible how much self-confidence I gained, um, in just that first single feet. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of like opened the door of, Hmm, like what is possible? And I, I tend to think a little differently than everyone else. Like I don't tend to like default to what, what is everyone else doing? I kind of default to what can I do that no one's done before or that's never been done or, or, you know, you know, part of my, my journey is, is as being a blind person is, you know, there's these social stigmas of what a blind person looks like, what they don't look like, what can they do? What can't they do? And for me, like, instead of trying to like live in this area that everybody else thinks I should live in, I want to just be who I am, because that's really the only way things are going to change. And so, um, so now my thought process is, okay, so most people would tell you that blind people can't ride single bikes. And being a cyclist, I lived in that world. And I'll tell you, people said blind people can't ride single bikes. So then it became a, well, if I could, what would it look like? And that just was the beginning of the thought process. And then tour divide was, I thought I would love it because it was not with traffic (laughs) and semi trucks. Right. And it would be right in nature. And I love the mountains and just being out there. And it, I, I really feel like, um, because I am blind now, I don't get to go out on mountain bikes and ride like everyone else. I had no idea really what I was getting myself into. Um, But by day two, when I wanted to quit, it was, you know, every day was um, being intentional on getting through the next day and um, allowing my, that space that if I wanted to quit for the reasons of this is too dangerous, I don't want to get hurt like that. I was okay with that. But it couldn't be about anything else because at the end of the day, I had to I had to live with myself. So why did you really quit? Could you not really push yourself one more day, Sean? Like, come on. Mm. So every day, yeah. So every day I just was intentional of um, just one day at a time, just pushing through the day. And I have to tell you, it's in that really hard stuff I've done that I've learned the most about myself. And I am so different. Then even the first time I met you, you know, mm-hmm. so many years ago, I'm a, I'm much different. I'm, I feel like I'm more confident and more clear. And you know, I mean, I'm still sad about being blind, um, but I try not to focus on that because that's a really fast hole <laughs> you can slide down. So, yeah, yeah.
0: and it's through those those. Challenges that we often do find ourselves and discover uh, our our strengths and our capabilities and who we are and what we value, so I think that yeah, you've had at least three big uh, moments like that <laughs> you mentioned, yes, you mentioned, I have you mentioned ski spec. I know that, that you like you're an avid skier, you like to go out uh, skiing and and I think you've been to ski spec how many times now
2: oh, um, maybe nine eight eight or nine maybe maybe
1: eight i don't okay. know yeah but a lot <laughs> i've been there a lot yeah.
0: well, we enjoy seeing you out there and love it and what is it about skiing just that that activity and that sport that that you that um... oh it's
1: terrifying uh-huh. john it's all about the people <laughs> Uh It's all about people, right? It's like a, it's an opportunity to not, you, you not only get to be with the people from Move United that you have contact with, but you're out there with so many incredible adaptive skiers and then their people. And then all of these adaptive instructors that come in and it's just like such good energy and connections it's so it's so about the people i'm terrified when i downhill ski not gonna lie <laughs> i feel like gravity is trying to pull me to the core of the earth and nothing's gonna stop it um, it's a, it's another opportunity for me to challenge myself but but doing things like that it is 100% about the people
0: yeah it's definitely a community yeah. it's definitely a community it is a wonderful community community event and yes Obviously, I want to talk to you about one of the things that you're getting ready to embark on. Uh, and so, for those that are listening, uh, what is that? What are you getting ready? To, what are you getting ready to take on next?
1: Uh, so on April seventh, I will be boarding an airplane to fly to Kathmandu to start my trek up to Everest Base Camp and then to hopefully summit Mount Everest and Lhotse
0: yeah not just everest but the <laughs> Lotsey as well yes. Yes. <laughs> and how how many people do both
1: i don't i, mean, I, I don't know i know that it's not always been a uh, a big uh, a big thing for people to do to do both i think it's fairly recent that it's catching people's um attention to attempt the double summit um I mean, I'm, I'm sure mountaineers have, you know, have been climbing Lhotse, you know, forever. Um, but this, you know, it's interesting. Lonnie Bedwell asked me about, he's been on me about climbing with him forever. I'm (laughs) always doing some sort of bike adventure. And so when he asked me about Everest, uh, I was like, you know, sure. I got nothing planned for that year. Like, why not? That's literally how this came up. Uh Like it's a new adventure. Never done it before. I wonder what I'm going to learn about myself. Um, and it was, I didn't even know about the Lhotse, the double summit, but I think it was the, um, you know, no blind person has ever, um, uh, has ever done the, the double summit. So I know that if I summit, if I'm successful summiting Everest, I'll be the first blind woman to summit. Mm -hmm. Um, and Lonnie and I are going to be out on the mountain together. So I I told him he needs to go first because it would be really cool for Lonnie to be able to say he's the first blind person to do the double summit.
2: Mm.
1: Um, but so when we're out there, who knows, maybe Lonnie and I will be both be the first two blind people to do the double summit. So it's just a thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, and most people know about Everest, but they don't know about the uh, sister yeah. summit. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it's the fourth highest peak in the world.
0: Yeah, and yeah. and so I, you may sense the theme here, but uh, the question I have for you is why? So why why undertake this this attempt at the double summit? Oh,
1: why the attempt at the double summit? Um. You know, if we, if we get a a big enough weather window, why not? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have a specific reason um, to say why I would want to do the double summit. I, I think that it's a challenge and there is something intriguing um, to think that a blind person hasn't done it before. Mm. So it's just another another thing that if if we if we as a community start doing more things, we have less people saying what people can and can't do. Right. 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 Yeah.
0: So just breaking that barrier and those barriers. Yes,
1: hundred percent for everyone, not just for me, but for for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and so, what are you doing? You know, like now to prep for that climb. I know you've met with some of the 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 guides and the team that's uh you know planning to to assist with the effort but what other thing what are things are you doing like to just train mentally and physically
1: um so physically lifting weights lots of muscular endurance workouts so it's like 100 reps or 200 reps and many exercises like that uh lots, lots of hiking time on feet um it's getting my gear, which has been the most challenging, I think (laughs) shopping online as a blind person, not the easiest, nor do I get it right all the time. Um, but it's like my mountaineer boots and, you know, crampons, and we have a ladder set up in the backyard, um, elevated over the snow, learning how to walk across these ladders, um, with crampons Mm. and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, cardio. It's being as cardiovascular vascularly fit, I have a hypoxia tent over my bed um to help um become more familiar to what my body feels like at higher elevations. Hmm. so it's a it's a lot it's a lot of stuff, blood work, making sure iron's okay, and yeah, it's a lot <laughs> it is a
0: lot indeed and yeah. when and when will you and Lonnie connect? I mean, will you connect beforehand or will you meet there?
1: We'll be at base camp together i think they're hiking his team is hiking up a couple days before my team is hiking up okay. and um, then we'll be at base camp together and then from there i have no idea but i did tell him anytime he wants to quit he needs to picture me kicking him <laughs> that's what i would do if i was close to him i'd be like get your butt out there come on one foot in front of the other let's do this well that's incentive so we right to yeah, we're going to be rooting each other on. We're out there for each other.
0: So, are you essentially going to two separate teams? You know, because you'll have a whole team of of obviously you know, sherpas and guides and stuff like that. Is that is that the?
1: Yeah, Lonnie's climbing with with a group that's called Sightless Summits, and they're guiding. They're being guided by a Westerner. What they call him Westerner Ryan Waters, who's um, based here in the states. And then we're going with um, Elite Exped, which is Nim's team from 14 Peaks, the documentary on Netflix. Yep. So we're working with Elite Exped.
2: Um,
1: but it, it's a small team. It's like myself and um, Remy, who's from South Africa, and then like four Sherpas. So we're we're a much smaller group than Lonnie's
2: group.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then are you doing uh, hopefully some fun things while you're there? You're sightseeing and traveling, or visiting like other places that you wouldn't see otherwise? Or are you just mm-hmm. focused on on the mission at hand?
1: It's a, yeah, it's a two month commitment. So um, no, so I'll be going over. I think the I think one of the things I'm excited the most is is meeting um, people from Nepal and mm-hmm. working with them. I just hear such amazing things about them. And I love good energy and I love kind people and I'm just really looking forward to making those connections and meeting new people and seeing if I can do this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh and so I hate to ask cuz this is that's a big but you have other kind of yeah. bucket list items that you I mean is there something else that you just eventually want to do?
1: Yeah, I so I think one of the things I've been thinking about is eventually figuring out how to do the double crossing of the Grand Canyon on my own mm. without a sighted guide. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's possible. And I, I feel like I'm, I live an hour and a half from the Grand Canyon and mm-hmm. I think just becoming mm-hmm. familiar with it, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but that's been kind of nagging on me to see if I can figure out how to do that. Um, the other thing is, um, maybe Jesse and I will ski to the South pole next year. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's a, there is a hike along the grand Canyon. Um, there's a documentary called into the Canyon where they hike the distance of the Canyon. So it's like over 600 miles. And there's only been, I think what they say is there's been more people that have walked on the moon than have done this hike. So 13 ish people have ever done this hike. So that's a, it's another, you know, at the back of my mind, so you never always, know.
0: always brewing, right? Something's always brewing up there.
1: <laughs> you never know. You never know. Sometimes when I'm like gearing up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> when am I going to be so tired that I'm done?
0: <laughs> but, well, you know, it's okay to be tired, right? But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, never done. <laughs> Yeah. And 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 Sean, how do people kind of follow your your journey, and if they want to just connect with you or you know follow how you're doing on uh, on your upcoming trek and stuff like that?
1: So um, anyone who wants to follow along um, can follow me on my social media on Instagram, uh, which is Sean Cheshire uh, underscore Sean underscore Cheshire Choosing to See dot org. Um, which is uh, my nonprofit that works with the blind and visually impaired. And, and Lonnie's link to follow Lonnie as well will be on Choosing to See's uh, website. Hmm. Uh, and um, my, I have my own website, but I don't ever re- promote it. <laughs> I always forget I have that, uh, <laughs> SeanCheshire.org. But if anything, go to Choosing to See because Lonnie and my uh, information uh, links to follow us will be there.